And now, from our studios in Kansas City, Sci-Fi for Me Radio is live from the bunker. Welcome, everyone. It is Tuesday. We are live from the bunker. Jason Hud here in the super secret underground bunker world headquarters here at Sci-Fi for Me TV. And today's guest, author Declan Finn, he's going to join us here just momentarily. But first of all, I just real, want to do a real quick follow-up. On yesterday's show, we were talking about the Wonder Woman variant cover, uh, the Rooster Teeth cover, and all of the all of the discussion and dialogue off of that. And we had speculated and wondered if that might not have been a distraction to keep us from looking elsewhere. And lo and behold, as soon as we're done with the show, uh, all of this uh, all of this news breaks about all of the layoffs at DC and Warner Media. So I don't know if one has anything to do with the other. It probably doesn't, but it's one of those it's one of those really interesting coinkydinks. And uh, I know a lot of people have been saying something about uh, you know the timing of this being bad, but uh, in in the long run, really. Uh, it's best to do this before fandom. So there, there is that little bit of business and follow-up. Uh, those of you who are uh, around, oh yeah, the well, Iceman, Shia LaBeouf, Sci-Fi Snob, that's Marvel. So that's that's uh, completely different publisher, and I and I'm sure we'll get to that as well. But right now, joining me uh, online here, the author of the St. Tommy NYPD books, as well as others, Mr. Declan Finn joins us. Hello, sir. Hello. Hello. How are you all doing? I'm doing good. Thanks for for being here. Now, uh, you have been nominated for Dragon Awards. Let's uh, let's start there, because uh, the Dragon Awards being still relatively young... Uh, mm-hmm. you've had nominations in your Love at First Bite series. Uh, you were telling me 2016 Best Horror for Hon- Honor at Stake, 2017 Best Horror for Live and Let Bite, and Best Op- Apocalyptic Codename Unsub. When the Dragon Awards started, uh, were you um, were you surprised at the nominations uh did they seem to go a little bit easier than some other award programs or was this just kind of a well here's the dragon i got i got a nomination great it was mostly i got the nomination i was heck 2016 surprised me that i even got one in the first place and then 2017 it's like wait they nominated me twice did did they miscount um but no i was i was blown away period uh i didn't find them quote easy because i'm not sure what else i could have done aside from you know here's on on my blog here's what i like this year and you know oh yeah these are books of mine that were that are eligible if you want to vote for them go right ahead so if that's easy then yeah that was easy (laughs) So uh, 
let me let me uh, get into this part here as far as the the type of stories that you've that you write. Um, there is uh, definitely the supernatural uh, elements to it, uh, the somewhat horror fantasy type of thing with the vampires and and such. But there's also a religious bent to it, and it's something that you don't really see outside of Christian fiction, mm-hmm. uh, which is a category in and of itself, and, and your mileage may vary as far as the, the quality of that work, because for whatever reason, uh, Christian fiction has just not really taken off in the, main, in, in the main marketplace. It's very niche. But you've managed to incorporate uh, Christian elements, Christian themes, into a lot of your work. How do you go about doing that without it falling into this easily dismissed Christian religion, you know, Christian fiction that doesn't necessarily get a lot of traction? By step one, focusing on the story. Uh, a lot of the Christian fiction, and I. God, I hate that label. Uh, is they're bad Hallmark channels, channel events. And, you know, okay, Hallmark may not have a good reputation, but one, people watch them. And two, they do have some good programming from time to time. Honest. I'm as shocked as anyone else. But uh, a lot of the Christian fiction elements preaches at the audience, which makes me just want to take a gun to my head. I can't do that because I live in New York and we're not allowed to have guns. <laughs> That's a different rant. Um, and my approach is very simple. Uh, I'm using I'm using research. I, I technically I'm cheating. You know, I, I'm I'm Catholic. I'm looking up what the metaphysics already says and just running with it. And also, uh, I've, I've written other books that are non-fantasy. And my preference is for, I, I believe it was Raymond Chandler. When the plot gets thro- slow, send in somebody through the door with a machine gun. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and in the case of urban fantasy or horror, it's, you know, in comes the demon or the vampires or what have you. Right. And, you know, yeah, sure. Uh, I, I, heck, my vampire books uses a lot of, Catholic metaphysics. Um, I, you know, I finally got used out of my philosophy degree. Who knew? And, um, but I keep telling people, well, it's urban fantasy. Yes, there is a romantic subplot, but there are also Vatican ninjas, RPGs, and throwing stars of David. <laughs> so, you know, when you absolutely positively have to kill the vampires, you throw everything at them, right? Including a giant crucifix on top of a tombstone they're heavy but um yeah and that's pretty much all i do it's now when you plot when you plot these out no go ahead yes go ahead oh no go ahead ahead. well i was just going to say when you plot these out does the does the metaphysics and the and the catholic elements come first or do you figure out ways to fit those in after you have the spine of the story no they go in hand hand in hand with the story uh with the St. Tommy books, it's easier because, you know, the character is kind of wind up, you know, you just put him in a situation and off he goes. Right. Um, I don't know how many writers can do that. I can. 
Uh, I've heard more than a few that can. Um, in his case, it's, gee, what does he do? Um, the the socio sociologist and historian Rodney Stark talked about how Christianity initially spread because, you know, there was there were plague years through the Roman Empire. Doctors fled the Christians state to help people, and that got converts. And basically, I'm showing actions, not preaching. Mm -hmm. And in the case of St. Tommy, it's easy. He is just a good person. He's, he's a better person than I am. And a lot of the conversations are, of course, I volunteer at the church. I have the free time. Why is that weird? <laughs> now, I heard another another interview with you where you were talking about the fact that Tommy doesn't necessarily want to be called a saint, doesn't want to be considered a saint. Is that important to the character? I mean, I, I have to admit, I haven't read any of your books. So Sci-Fi Snob asking the question, which of your books would you suggest for a first-time reader of your work? Where would somebody start? Would it, would it be, because St. Tommy is, is one series, and then you know, Love at First Bite is another series. Is there a good first Declan Finn book for anybody that hasn't read your work? It would probably be either Hellspawn, which is St. Tommy book one, uh, or Honor at Stake, which is Love at First Bite, book one. Uh, both of those are probably my best, probably the best start to either series. Uh, St. Tommy is up to book seven and will go up to book 12. I know it will get to book 12 because I already finished book 10. You know, I am not George R.R. R. Martin. I am not <laughs> Patrick Robinson or whoever the heck that was in the news lately. So, um it, it depends on whether you want a long series or a short one, but they're both excellent series. Uh, I had the most fun writing them. I want to get back to Honor at Stake eventually, uh, assuming time will let time and sales will let me. But uh, yeah, either Honor at Stake or Hellspawn are, are a good start. If you prefer thrillers, and I suspect given the audience, it, it will be a preference for horror or urban fantasy. Uh, I also have the Pious, tr Pious Trilogy, which are pure thriller and shoot them up. And my other degree is in history. So it's what happens when a history major has a favorite movie for Die Hard for Christmas and hates Dan Brown. <laughs> now, now do, you, do you have any intention to use that to do any kind of like an alternate history book, anything like Harry Turtledove or... I've actually already started within the Love at First Bite series, um, and to some extent, St. Tommy. There is mild cross... I have built in headcanon for fans, so they can construct their own headcanon. But I've already started on a secret history for uh, the vampire world, where it's, okay, now if I go back in time to see how far vampires can go, what can I have them mess around with? It's like... Well, in the French Revolution, they beheaded people, and then peasants ran up to dip their bread in the blood of those who died. It's like, no, that, that's, that's not demonic at all. Vampire, vampires? Nah. <laughs> <laughs> but since the people running the terror were also beheaded, it's like, yep, beheading works good on a vampire as well. Yeah. Well, now the the lore, uh, and you know, and there are a lot of vampire stories out there and demon stories and stuff. How do you? keep your voice 
in that in that part of the element, you know, those elements in the story. How do you keep it fresh in terms of, oh, well, this is just another vampire story, and we've seen all of this before. What do, what do you do to differentiate your vampire stories from all of the other vampire stories that are out there, like Twilight or, or, or Interview with a Vampire or Dracula or any of those? I mean, how is, how is your stuff different? Well, I started with a base of Bram Stoker's Dracula. Now, granted, I missed a few elements of lore, and I, since I was never aware of the elements of war, lore that were missing, I figured, okay, I'm going to fill in the blanks. And like I said, I, I, I took some metaphysics, and in, as, as Catholic philosopher St. Thomas Aquinas put it, this is important, honest, um, a post-resurrected body the soul and the body are more intertwined. So one would have complete control over the physical form, including being able to slip the molecules of the human body in between the spaces of, you know, the atoms in a wall. Gee, well, if you could do that, can't you turn into mist? Can't you shapeshift? Can't you be a vampire? That sort of thing. So I, I rewrote it as a imperfect resurrection the vampires all get to keep their souls, and the more actions they commit for good or for ill, the stronger the soul-body connection becomes, and the more powerful they become for good or ill. You know, but if you're an evil bastard, you can't go into a church, that sort of thing. Mm -hmm. And, well, as one of my characters puts it, yes, I go to confession. Yes, it hurts. <laughs> so. Yeah. Now you mentioned you mentioned not being able to go into church. It reminds me of Highlander. You know they can't have any any combat on holy ground. Does that factor into it at all, or have you have you had those confrontations in and around holy ground where it's dialogue, but nobody can nobody can fight? Have we had uh, that scene yet? Uh, the closest I've well, actually one or two books have had that sort of incident in a Catholic cemetery, uh, Mount Olivet, because one of the other things I do is I make everything local. Mm -hmm. That's a different rant. But it was less a matter of unholy ground and more a matter of, okay, here are the crucifixes, here's the vampire, here are the Vatican ninjas right behind with the suppressive fire. <laughs> uh, Robert in the chat asks, are your vampires twinkly? <laughs> on the tag for the first cover is welcome to New York City where vampires don't sparkle they burn <laughs> I hope that answers the question but uh, no they do not sparkle I, I actually have vampires get pissy mm. when they are asked about twink or about sparkling <laughs> fair enough as they should now let me ask you because uh, you know we we get into the you know the religious themes and that kind of thing in your in your books. Mm -hmm. You go back to Tolkien, C.S. Lewis, the conversations oh, yeah. they had about how to introduce Christian philosophy, Christian theology to the general audience. You know, how, how, do, how, do we, how do we not necessarily, we introduce Christian ideas without proselytizing, without preaching to people. Do you ever consider that some of your books are going to be presenting your faith and maybe causing people to start asking questions well what is it what what do the catholics believe where what parts of this 
are part of the Catholic faith and how much of this is what Declan's just making up. Do you get those questions? Uh, yes, I have gotten those questions. Um, believe it or not, I've had people tell me that I am the reason they have come back to church with their family on mass. It's like, I didn't expect that, but I'll take it. Um, and I try to make clear in my author, you know, afterwards about this is what's real. This is what's not. And I even state in the book, you know, well, here is Catholic doctrine or Catholic history. And then I start talking about vampires and other monsters. So I'm kind of hoping most people will be able to tell that vampires are, you know, not part of this. Although if we had had a ninjas, who would know? <laughs> now, uh, on the flip side of that, have you had people from the church come to you and say, how dare you incorporate Catholic elements in your story? Have anybody taken you to task for that kind of thing? I think of the, the song... Uh, Alice Cooper's No More Mr. Nice Guy, where the where the preacher punches him in the nose, and it's like, uh, has has anybody called into question your use of Catholicism as part of your stories? No, uh, the you know what, the only person who has complained have been how my stories are too violent to be real Christianity. It's like. Hi, have you ever heard of the Crusades? <laughs> have you ever heard of monastery? Have you ever heard of monks with staff that will beat the crap out of you with their staff if you threaten them? It's like this. This isn't not. This ain't nothing new. <laughs> so, I, I've gotten a little bit of that, not too much. I have been now. Yeah, that's pretty much as far as I've gotten in terms of reviews or anything really but then again i've stopped talking to a lot of the more limp-wristed catholic writer groups so i don't know for all i know they're talking about me behind their back <laughs> behind my back so who knows now uh the other the other part of that though is then uh there's a there's a what and this is this is my perception from the outside looking in is that sure. American Catholicism and European Catholicism, there are differences. And of course, you have the Vatican II right there in the middle of all of it. Is is your do you have one or the other audience that responds better or differently? Does your American audience or your European audience have you have you noticed any kind of a difference in the response? Well, the American audience, you for the most part seem to have no complaints. I have, I haven't gotten a lot of response out of Europe. I have gotten response, response out of Australia. Don't ask me why, no. I don't know. <laughs> and um, the uh, Australian response has been more enthusiastic, which strikes me as strange, but I, I'm still trying to figure out how anyone in Australia heard of me. <laughs> now, where are your books available? Because you have a publisher. These are not self-published. Uh, you know, you're not doing the, you know, doing the crowdfunding route or create space or anything like that. You have publishers. I, you know, I'm assuming they're on Amazon and Barnes and Noble and the usual places to, to find these. Uh, at the moment. Yes. Um, I, I, I have self published a lot of stuff. In fact, both my pious books, the, uh, vampire books were originally all self published. Uh, my publisher, Silver Empire, uh, picked up those St. Tommy is silver empire direct 
And um, yes, most of them you can find, Barnes & Noble, Amazon. Uh, at the moment, you cannot get the most recent St. Tommy book, number seven, Coven, uh, on anywhere but the publisher website. Amazon has been playing games lately. I, I, it's inside baseball, so I won't get into that. But um, it has been easier to sell books from direct from the publisher website exclusively than to go into Amazon and get lost in the weeds. Right. Yeah. So at the moment, Coven only is a Silver Empire exclusive, and everything else, yeah, Amazon. Sci-Fi Snob makes a makes a, a joke here. He's not self-published. He's a real author. But that does that does raise the question: At what point in all of this did you look at everything that you've done so far and think, okay, now I'm actually doing this for real? I'm an author. I write books. This is what I do, as opposed to pursuing a hobby or it's just something I'm going to get around to or it's just something I do for fun. When did when did that switch flip that I am now a professional author? Whether whether this is your full time thing or not, that that mentality has to has to be there in order for you to just keep going at it, right? Um, I to be perfectly honest, I've been writing for I have been writing constantly since I was sixteen years old. So, and I've always had the mindset of. I am. This is what I want to do for a living, uh, mainly because I started writing a science fiction. I started writing a space opera series, and in fifteen months, I had written like four thousand pages. So it's like okay, I, you know, I, I had become one of those addicts where I have to start write. I have to write, otherwise, you know, I get the shakes from withdrawal. Mm -hmm. So um, technically, I had more or less hobbied my way through uh, yep, until I finished college. You know, I had even picked the history degree because they were stories. And one of my professors basically told history like a bard would. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, I was hooked. And so I managed to incorporate that into a lot of my work. But uh, I've always tried to approach it as professional. I've only really approached it as a nine to five job within the last two, within the last seven years, because that's when I started self-publishing originally. I did a test novel called It Was Only on Stun, the standard murder mystery at sci-fi convention. Right. And um, I've, in the last three, yeah, in the last seven years, it's either been writing or marketing. The thing they don't tell you about self-publishing Yes, you can do it all yourself. Then there's then there's marketing. Yes, which you have Enjoy. to do all yourself. Yes. Yeah, and um, in the last yeah, in the last three years, I have either done I have done made it a nine to five job where I can puff out a novel in two to three weeks. Uh, when I'm really excited, I'm doing two novels in a month uh, because I'm. I, I'm definitely taking the uh, the pulp route to writing. It just just keep pumping them out, you know, keep right. throwing them at the publisher. Uh, my publisher, on the one hand, is excited they have content. On the other hand, it's feel free to take a break. Yeah, you know, no rush. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you're sending us another one. Okay, we'll uh, we'll add that to the list. Um, 
Starship Trooper in the chat brings up a good point about vampirism going back further than Christianity in terms of that. But oh, yeah. but also uh, making a note of the differences in Catholicism, not just uh, American Rome, Eastern Rite, Greek, uh, I'm assuming Greek Orthodox, Russian Coptic, Anglican. In your incorporation of Catholicism in the stories, do you ever bring in other... I don't want to say other other types of Catholicism, but other branches of Catholicism, other interpretations, or are you um, sticking just with what you've grown up with? Oh, I stick with what I grew up with for the simple reason that I don't want to screw up anybody else. <laughs> right. You know, you know, it's like either I'm going to drill down and do the research and get everything exactly right, or I'm going to stay far away from it so I don't mess it up. You know, uh, <laughs> I, I've read too many of these. Uh, smart stories where they screw up the history so they can tell their own narrative it makes me allergic when i do it right when i screw up something it's like damn it uh so i try to avoid that just to avoid screwing up facts are um, there are there opportunities for that in the future because in some of these stories uh tommy has has traveled abroad i guess you could you you call some of the stories saint tommy abroad and, you know, I'm assuming that, that he's not in New York for every single one of these books. If, if he's going in various other parts of the, of, of the world, are there opportunities for that kind of maybe a culture clash where maybe he's got to team up with a Greek Orthodox detective and try to figure something out? And, and now they have not only do they have to learn to, how to work together, but they have to reach an understanding on their faith. You know, is it something like that. Are there... Are there opportunities there for that kind of thing? Uh, haven't gotten to it yet. Um, now, fun fact about uh, the NYPD: we are the only the, we are the only pol we have the only police department that I'm aware of that has an international branch. And I only expected to do three novels, but like everything else I've ever written, and then it spiraled mm -hmm. is the perfect descriptor. Sure. And by the end of book three, it's okay, it's time for my main character to be elsewhere for a while. So I kicked him out of town. Uh, I have interacted. I have had him interact with other faiths. Um, in some cases, it was, well, there was a jihadis in London that didn't end well. <laughs> <laughs> but yes, there is interaction with other faiths. And, well... Sorry, they go into spoilers. I I I, I can't no, go into those right that's, now. That's fine. Sci-Fi Snob asks, what's your area of expertise in history? What did you focus on? Um, I focused on modern Europe uh, with a slight emphasis on late medieval, early modern, basically the last 600 years. Uh, focus in Europe, I wound up taking way too many courses in Russian history. I do not know how. But if I need to hear one more word about the freaking Russian Revolution, I may have to hurt somebody. <laughs> and uh, so is it October? Is it? No, never mind. Um, so, yeah, I, I'm pretty much all over the place in terms of expertise, which is a little bit too snobby for me to use with a straight face. Uh, I've I've done a master's thesis on uh, Irish rebel songs where it, you know, so what songs do the IRA sting is they're going to blow up people. Um, 
although the history goes back further than that, that's a different book, right? Which is published, and that is self-published for those who are asking. Those who are keeping score at home. So, um, and by the way, to uh, go back to one of your earlier comments, yeah, I actually try to incorporate how vampire predates Christianity. Sure. Uh, I did have a short story where it was going to be um, the prop the prophet Samuel and a vampire and holy oil, but I never got around to jamming that in. <laughs> but, I, uh, yeah, I make use of it. Yeah, well, given given the story in the Old Testament about how Samuel got called up after he was dead, I that that intrigues me a little bit. That uh, <laughs> that's a story that I think I might be interested in reading at some point. Um, the Irish part of it uh, li- gets me into this next this next question from Robert about your name. Is it a pen name? He says it's rather over the top Irish. Declan Finn. I mean, it's a very Irish name, and I'm seeing you know red hair, yeah, and and a, a little bit of an accent. Are you from? Were you were you born outside the United States, or you're oh, here? No. I was I was born in Queens. It's probably somewhere around Mathis, uh, for if anybody actually knows. Uh, yes, Declan Finn is a pen name, uh, mainly because my current name. I want people to be able to pronounce it and spell it. It's like, you know, it's like, nope, Amazon is not going to like this when it's misspelled. Yeah. So let, let's try something else. And much to my surprise, you know, I, I had picked out the name from a, a side business my father had started. He picked Declan Finn Associates because, well, he also has the same last name. And you know, I, I thought, okay, this is an awesome pen name. I'm going to use it. And he said, you know, yeah, sure, go right ahead. Um, so that happened. And uh, yeah, everybody keeps going, wow, your name is awesome. It's like, thank you. <laughs> like, hey, I guess I chose well. You mentioned your dad. How is How does your family feel about your your let's say relative success, but your success as an author? And you know, you've been nominated for awards. You're selling books. You know, this is your this is your full time gig now. I would assume, is this yeah? Some some creative types, the families kind of look sideways and say, "Oh yeah, that's just you know that's just his thing for now. Eventually he'll he'll grow out of it." Or uh, you know, are you getting that, or is your family fairly supportive of what you're doing? They are very supportive. Um, Since my entire family is composed comprised of readers, uh, you know. One family member has a degree in English. One family member, you know, reads the newspaper with a blue pen in her hand. Uh, you know, one has a reading speed of like three books a day. Uh, yeah, they're all very supportive. They've read every. They are my beta. They are my starting beta readers. And trust me, I know they ain't gonna go easy on me. Uh, you know, we're all snarky with each other. We have no problem giving each other a hard time. Yeah. So uh, I, I, I know the edits are, are going to be, you know, they're always going to soft pedal. Yeah, that's, um, that's something we talked about on, on uh, the H2O podcast last night. We were getting into to short fiction, and we, were have people, we had people asking us about starting out. And, and one of the things that is really important when you've got beta readers is you've got to have those people that are not going to sugarcoat and backpedal and just pat you on the head and say, oh, yes, it's a great story when it's not. 
um, that that brutally honest review that you get from people, and I would imagine it sounds like you get some of those. Um, does it ever go too far that they they really say your baby is really super ugly and you should never publish this story? Yeah, you know, does it ever get to the point where you kind of take a step back and, and question what kind of a story you've written, or are they mostly constructive? Oh, all the criticism has been constructive. The only person who has ever had second thoughts about publishing a book have been me. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, I was, you know, I'm I am still self-publishing some books because. I don't want to keep just dropping stuff on that silver empire. It's like, hi, here's another book, publish yeah. it. <laughs> you know, they, they've, they've got enough on their plate. Um, so I'm usually my harshest critic because my, my usual tendency has been, you know, write a book, put it off to site for six months, come back to it, reread it and go, was I on something? Did I actually write this book? This is crap. Stab it with a pen a few times. Tread some pages. That sort of thing. So yeah, I am our, I am my harshest critic. Um, there are one or and even in general publishing, I've only come across one or two publishers who are so unreasonable that it's like these comments they make no sense. No. What are you trying to say? But then I give them to actual professional editors, and it's like. I don't know what they mean either. So you're in good company. How so. often? How often do you look at uh, reader reviews on sites like Amazon or Goodreads or any of those? Do those ever come into play for you? Um, well, I do read them. I tr I never respond to them if I can help it. Um, I always make sure to read them on the interface on my phone because I hate typing on my phone, <laughs> so that prevents me from replying. Sure. Um, most of the time it's friends or family want me to do dramatic readings of my reviews because I apparently give good auditory reading. Who knows? Um, by the way, uh, somebody in the comments, uh, mentions most, everyone from Queens usually say what area they're from. <laughs> uh, in my case, I mentioned what area I'm from. It is so small that most people are going, oh, you mean this area? It's like, no, I do not mean Middle Village. <laughs> no, I do not mean Howard Beach. Uh, if it helps Starship Trooper, uh, Jamaica Avenue is that way. <laughs> so <laughs> if that helps. <laughs> now, you mentioned the dramatic readings. Do you do any of those? Do you do you read from your own stories at, you know, now, right now, conventions are not going on, but have you done those kind of things where you sit down like an open mic night or or at a convention or a panel where you'll read maybe maybe something that's already been published, but also maybe you read you read something that you're in the in process. Do you ever do any of that? I usually don't do in process because I'm the temptation is too strong to stop in the middle and go, "This sucks. Hold on, while I rewrite this." <laughs> like, no, that that's. It's bad form, if nothing else. Yes, I have done readings at conventions. Um, I've done them at Dragon Con, Raven Con, Liberty Con. Okay, those, I think, yeah, those are the only three I can think of off the top of my head. Um, and I've done one audiobook, 
and that will probably be the last time I ever do an audio book. It's like, you know, start listening. It's like, ow, how do people listen to me? <laughs> now, uh, what about, and you know, the inevitable, the inevitable question with any author is, you know, who's picking up the movie rights? Are there going to be TV adaptations and all that? It almost seems like nowadays, and we've seen this criticism in the comics industry of late, uh, where uh, a lot of them are getting into comics as their entry point into the Netflix deal or the, you know, the Amazon deal or whatever. They're not writing comic books just to write comic books. And I would imagine you're not writing novels to get the movie deals or, or anything like that. I mean, you're writing books to tell those stories as books. But have have there been conversations for adaptations of any of your work yet? Um, mostly with fans saying, ooh, I'd like so-and-so to play this character when, you know, when the movie ever happens. It, it's... I don't know if this is normal for anybody else, but I grew up with, you know... How would you cast this book or cast this movie if sure. you remade it? That sort of thing. Yeah, I grew up with that, but um, yeah, that's as far as any conversations have gone. Nobody, it, nobody from Hollyweird has asked me for movie rights. I, you know, I've got a friend who wants to start a movie company. It's like, well, like, and yes, I have written him a pilot episode where. If you go do the guerrilla uh, camera work tactics James Cameron used for Terminator, it's a relatively low budget thing. Uh, if you have to get filming rights and shooting permits from New York City, that'll be 200% of the budget. Yeah. Uh, a sci-fi snob uh, has has uh, has dropped the landmine here, so yeah. well, I'm going to let him ask the question here. What does Declan think about Sad Puppies and the Yugo Awards? Um, and we can, we can do kind of surface area on this. We don't necessarily have to go too deep in the weeds on it, but, uh, uh, you have posted in various places, your thoughts on, on some of this stuff and where, where do you see things as they are now in terms of Worldcon, the Hugos, a lot of these awards that are out there now, what's. What's the current state of affairs as you see it? Oh, the current state of affairs, which is slightly different from my thoughts on said puppies, etc. Um, current state of affairs. I think the Hugos are doing a great job of melting down. Uh, just looking at, oh, George Martin, mis George R. R. Mountain Martin mispronounced somebody's name. This is racist. It's like, uh. I can't use that language on this show. It's like, but please, really, if, if I spelled out my name and had everyone write it down, it would take at least 15 minutes for the first person to come close to guessing what it sound was pronounced like. And we wouldn't even go into telemarketers. Hello, are you Mr. Kuhn? Right. It's like, well, you got three letters, right? You want to go for the other five? <laughs> <laughs> so... And just watching them eat each other is hilarious. Um, this is not, I, I concur, but this is not an original thought with me, where Larry Correa saw all this melting down and went, hi, I told you this like five years ago, guys. You believe me now? No. Because, okay, the sad puppies are gone. The rabid puppies are gone. 
I don't think there are any types of other puppies left. So all of anyone who might be considered moderate to right wing and has an opinion is gone. Therefore, who's left to, you know, not the, the, you know, the rabbit politicos who were there 10 years ago are in attack mode. They don't have anyone to attack but each other. It's, it's kind of like watching, you know, Portland burn itself down. It, it's, you know, one political, here's this corner of the political spectrum and they're shooting at each other. So it, it's, it, it's a meltdown, which is kind of sad. I, the first time I was aware of the Hugo Awards was when they gave, it, gave the Hugos to J. Michael Straczynski for Babylon 5, which is my favorite show and literally got me into writing. So it's sad, but eh, what can you do? Now, you mentioned Portland. Um, over on your website, on your blog, you've got an entry here from July 15th talking about the St. Tommy novels and, <laughs> and how they apparently uh, kind of predicted some of this stuff inadvertently. I, when you see what's going on now and you look at, oh, man, I had that in my book. I had that in my book. And it and it brings to mind um, some of the Tom Clancy books, um, uh, a Dead of Honor being one of them, where you have an attack on on the financial you know, the financial sector. You also have a plane going into the Capitol building in in Washington D.C. All of those you know all of those things coming well before nine eleven, and and a lot of mm -hmm. you know well before what was going on now. When you look at the stuff that's in your books from way back when and now you compare it to now you're you're looking at a number of parallels how does that make you feel when you're looking at this going it, it wasn't supposed to be this way well look since i'm dealing with demons and the, the humans that work with them all i do is take you know whatever current stupidity is going on and just go to the logical absurd conclusion mm -hmm. And it's like, nah, I, I figured, nah, it'll, it'll never get that far because people aren't that stupid, are they? Answer, apparently they are. Um, in, hold on, books, yeah, eight and nine, which I wrote in February before I went on a, <laughs> before I went on a vacation. Um, I wrote a se several sequences in Germany where they were dealing with European Antifa. And my editor, who is El Jaji Lamplighter, um, she's married to John C. Wright. Right. She also has a great series of books on her own. Uh, Rachel Griffin, plug, plug. And um, she was going through the book and it's like, you're going to have to expand on Antifa. I don't think anyone's going to realize who they are. <laughs> it's like, okay, fine. And by April, it's like, wow, people are going to start wondering why I put in an entire page on what Antifa is. <laughs> Some people, someone's going to say, ah, he's ripping off current events. It's like, I wrote it in February. <laughs> <laughs> you know, um, and some of the you know, evil plots I had in mind um, involved, you know, releasing con convicts onto, uh, into New York City so the population would have to lean on the government, uh, that sort of thing. And, you know, a few months ago, we get 
bail reform and empty prisons for Corona. It's like, wow, I, I thought that was too stupid to make to, to, to be believable. Well, like, now, okay. you know, science, science fiction has always had a, an element of futurism in it where, you know, and, and you have, the projection forward is, well, we take this one idea, what does it look like five years from now, 10 years from now, 20 years from now, you know, in 200 years? So it makes a certain amount of sense, especially if you, if you project forward from a logical standpoint, well, if, if X applies, then B is going to happen as a consequence of that. So I could see where you could sit there and say, okay, well, I'm going to take this one premise and run with it. And, and you end up getting the same thing in your books as what we're seeing play out now. Uh, not only, not only on the national scale, but on the international uh, uh, stage, does it ever make you think that maybe you should pull back a little bit and okay, well, I'm writing this. Maybe I should hold off on this until things cool off and maybe go do something else for a while. Have, has that ever has have you had thoughts about changing your stories uh, in midstream as a consequence of of how much parallel there is? Usually not. Um, but then again, once I start writing a book, the outside world no longer exists. Mm -hmm. um, as far as I can tell, it's okay. Is something happening? That's nice. Let me. I, I'm still writing. Shut up and leave me alone. Uh, you know, and when I emerge, it's like, well, nothing new has happened. And then I wait three months and stupidity happens again. Uh, hey, I, I, for book 10, which I just finished, um, finished edits on, it's okay. Well, this is inspired by events of last year. So hopefully... The uh, mythical conspiracy theory, and with demonic elements, won't get won't can't become any more true. <laughs> you know, I, I I went after you know book ten. Not a lot of spoilers, but uh, I, I decided to address the Hollywood industry just a little bit. Uh oh. And frankly, when it's what you had a small former Smallville actress running a sex cult, uh, Harvey Firestein, Roger Epps, Roger Epps. I'm starting to lose track of the Harvey Weinstein, whoever, whatever Epstein's first name was. Yep. It's like, you can't make this crap up. You know, I'm throwing in demonic elements and hoping that that part doesn't come true. <laughs> now, how much of your life experiences, other life experiences, any of that, where, where does that, does that play into, oh, this thing happened to me, I can incorporate it into my book. For example, you mentioned your, your vacation. Um, oh, yes. Is, yes. Is, is there stuff like that in your real life that ends up in your stories in, in any way? Uh, yes. Yes, it does. Um, to use an example, one example is, you know, when I visited Dublin in my youth, uh, I was walking over a bridge and nearly got taken out by a flock of ducks. <laughs> I'm not even exaggerating. I, you know, I damn near dropped all fours, and I put that into a novel in the middle of a fight scene um, because it's just too good not to use. All right. In the case of what you're referring to, I I went to Rome 
in March. I rent to, I, I made the plans a few months ago and Corona was in Lombardy. So, which is on the other end of the country from Rome. And it's like, okay, it's under lockdown. How do you screw up a lockdown? <laughs> Leave it to Italians, they can screw up a lockdown. I say this as, with my mother being Sicilian. I'm now emphasizing the Sicilian parts. But um, we had a fun week just trying to escape from Italy. And um, yeah, parts of that ended up in uh, book nine of St. Tommy, uh, where it's like, okay, I'm going to trash Rome now. Uh, <laughs> I, I, I then proceeded to trash Rome. But uh, that's, you know, stuff like that does come in. in I, I re lead a relatively boring life, so... Yeah, not a lot gets it. Well, yeah, most of the interesting stuff is in my head. Read, although reading reading all of the uh, all of the headaches that you had to deal with trying to get out of Italy was just, uh, you know, it was like one thing after the next after the next. Like, are you kidding me with this? This is actually this is a real thing that's happening. He's not making this stuff up. And I think you were what uh, a week, week and a half, uh, trying to just get out of Rome. Um, it was closer to just a week. Um, I was there for nearly two weeks, but the first week or so was pleasant enough. We got in on a Tuesday. They were starting to shut things down on mo the next Monday, at which point it's like, okay, they've closed all the churches, all the museums. It's time to go home now. And it's like, no, you can't leave till Thursday. And you can't leave except from Florence, which had been on our itinerary for arbitrary and capricious flight rules where it's, you can change the date, the time, location, pick one. Oh my. So it's like, we had to fly out of Florence because that was what was originally scheduled. So, and then it got worse from there. So, <laughs> you know, my wife went out the wrong door. I followed her. We ended up on the tarmac which made us miss our plane and then everything started getting canceled. Yeah. Well, it got, it got fun from there. I'm sure. Now, have you got uh, a story in you that is different from everything that you've written so far and you haven't done it yet? <clears throat> or do you um, want to stay pretty much in the same wheelhouse? Well, I've still got my space opera series that has not yet been published. Uh, Silver Empire has it at the moment, and uh, they will get around to putting it on the. Uh, they'll get around to putting it on the publishing schedule once they stop throwing the current series at them. <laughs> so, uh, like, only two more books, guys. Only two. Um, so that'll be fun, uh, and then we can go into space opera. But uh, something. I'm trying to figure out what genre I haven't written in. I've done murder mysteries. I've done thrillers. I've, I've done historical novels, uh, which you were asking about family support. I actually, shut up. Goodbye. Anyway. Um, romantic no, comedy? Actually, no. Um, romantic comedy I have not done and I probably won't get into since everything I write, every, you know, something blows up. <laughs> yeah, the, the, the so, I, so romantic comedy with uh, with a terrorism plot. <laughs> Probably, yeah. although I think that would be 
I think it would be called either Mr. and Mrs. Smith or True Lies. <laughs> now, um, you mentioned you're waiting on that before the other ones are done. Are you, is, your, is your process one book at a time, or are you working on multiple stories all at once? Um, I'm working on multiple stories all at once. Well, I used to, um, to be perfectly honest. Uh, right now, I can't do more. Since I'm working on multiple books in one series, I'm trying to just keep the, you know, three or four books I have in my head at, straight at the same time, where it's like, okay, this element happened in this book. This has to come here instead of here, that sort of thing. Otherwise, I'm just going to be a complete mess. I care, even though I am outlining now, I used to be a seat of the pants writer. Mm. Uh, I still have a lot of what's going to happen in the book in my head because I can't turn it off. <laughs> so. Now, you mentioned outlines. Do you keep spreadsheets, note cards? How do you keep track of everything? It's not all in your head. You've got, you have to have some way of tracking your continuity, I would expect. Um, it's most, it's almost entirely outline, um, world building elements. I don't have much of a problem with keeping track of it's blow by blow scenes that I, I want that are becoming problematic. I don't know why mm -hmm. it never used to be a problem before, but, uh, most of my chap, most of my outlines are chapter by chapter. It's like this event happens here, this event happens here. And sometimes the chapter outline is one sentence long and I'll, Fill it in as I go. Um, to answer the question in the chat from Starship Trooper, never read the Jade Unicorn. Don't even know who it was written by. Sorry. And, and another, another El question from Robert about Elron Hubbard's body of work. What do you think of that? I think Elron Hubbard had a writer's dream uh, publishing publishing scheme. You know, he founded his own religion. Everyone would go in and buy two copies of the book, so it would go on the bestseller list. The next week, they would return the second copy because, at the time, nobody kept track of returns, and it pumped up his numbers. It was brilliant. Uh, I never actually read any of his stuff, mainly because if I read, oh my god, if I added, I can't add any more authors. <laughs> Who am I kidding? Authors are coming to me, so I, I know a few. <laughs> But it's like, here, read my book. It's like, okay, sure. Do you get, do you get a lot of time to do that? Just reading, just for for entertainment value, as as much as just you know, maybe being. Are you a beta reader for anybody else at this point, or? Um, I have beta read. I do not get a lot of reading though. Um, overall, for the simple reason that, you know, it's a nine to five job where I roll out of bed and into the office. So I say nine to five, but sometimes it starts at seven or eight. Yeah. It's like, okay, I'm up. Time to start working. Um, and no, I, my, my reading time has gone down a lot. I, I actually miss having a real job because at least growing up, it's okay. Two hours on public transit. I can finish a Tom Clancy novel a week. <laughs> and I did. Yeah. But nowadays it's like, takes me two weeks to finish a book. Ah. Now, have you had people come up to you and say, oh, I've got this really good idea for a book. I've got a, uh, this idea for a story. I know you've collaborated a little bit. Has that become a thing for people to bring you ideas or are you just, you know, 
stop right there. I'm not going to listen because I don't want to get accused of stealing it later. Uh, not a lot of people come to me with ideas um, because those who don't know of me can't approach me. And those who have heard of me have probably read the part of my blog where I said, I don't want to hear your damn ideas. Go out and write the freaking book. Um, because the, the first thing I hear is, oh, I've got this great idea. Most people, most writers will tell you ideas are a dime a dozen. You know, here's an idea. Give it to 10 different writers. You'll get 10 different results. At the website, DeclanFinn.com, and you were saying that you need to put in the three W's at the beginning of the URL just to make sure it goes there because reasons mm -hmm. that that's, that's going on now. Yep. All right. So you're currently working on what new you're working on a St. Tommy book or two. Uh, St. Tommy book. Uh, no, yeah. I'm going to be working on the next two St. Tommy books, um, 11 and 12, uh, dark web and blue Saint. Um, but right now, the ones that should be coming out, Coven is seven, and that's out. Coven, Hussar, Destiny, Lightbringer, Dark Web, Lightbringer, Dark, Dark Web, Blue Saint. Okay, yeah, that's that's six more. <laughs> like for a moment, I was like, wait, did I miss one? <laughs> and where can people find your books? Where where can we look at that? Um, most of my books are on Amazon, Barnes and Noble, that sort of thing. I've actually found a lot of them in used bookstores as well, which strikes me as strange that enough have gone out there to go into used bookstores. And um, right now, Coven is silverempire.org exclusive. Um, they do multiple uh, ebook formats as well as multiple hard copy formats. So uh, basically, anything you got, it can be covered. And um, yeah. Now, when things open back up, Convention-wise, mm -hmm. uh, are are you making a list of events that you want to get back to? You mentioned Liberty Con, uh, you've done Dragon Con. Are there particular events that that are your favorites? I meant to ask you that earlier. Is there one oh. or one or two that you really like to get back to? Oh, it, it's it's got to be Dragon Con for the simple reason that it's so big. There's so much to do, so many people to see, and you know when even people on staff are starting to identify me, it's like. I love this place, um, but that one has always felt like home. Yeah. Um, you know, I have done Liberty, and after a while, it's, well, it's a pain in the butt to get to by plane, and they cap, they cap, the, uh, they cap the attendance so low that I'm not even sure it's worth driving sometimes, but it will really depend on what 2021 looks like. Do you think the bigger conventions are going to have an easier time of, of coming back? Or do you think it's going to be the smaller conventions that recover faster? Because the the amount of, you know, the number of people that come into the smaller cons, I would think that it might be a little bit easier to manage that traffic than if you're at some place like Dragon Con or San Diego or Salt Lake or New York, where you've got, you know, anywhere from... 50,000, 80,000, 180,000 people going through there as opposed to 3,000 or 1,500 or, or 5,000. Is that going to make the smaller cons a little bit more attractive maybe when things open back up? It's six of one, half a dozen of the other because for one very simple reason. Yeah, sure. 
the smaller cons are easier to manage people, but you're still going to have smaller attendance, no matter no matter how big or small the, the con started as. Assuming, you know, assuming they cannot get a larger space, mm-hmm. that means fewer people are going to have to attend, are going to be allowed to attend if this is the new normal. I hate that phrase. Right. And no, we are not all in it together. Just look at some <laughs> of the political funerals lately. All right. Well, Declan Finn, thank you very much for your time today, sir. The the uh, the new book, uh, St. Tommy's Seven, you said silvereagle.org. Is that right? Silver Empire. Silver Empire. Empire. Silverempire.org. So go check that yeah. out. And uh, your first book, Honor at Stake, in the Love It for Spite series, and Hellspawn, the first book in the St. Tommy series. So check those out. And uh, we will probably have you back here at some point uh, when when some other books come out, and we'll talk again. Look forward to it. All right, and thank you all to uh, uh, those of you who were leaving comments in the chat. We do appreciate that. Uh, our email address, if you want to give us feedback, live from the bunker at sci-fi for me.com. Don't forget that uh, we do have a discount code set up over at uh, SuperheroStuff.com, a 10% off when you use the promo code sci-fi for me 10 And if you want to throw a few coins our way, we do have an account over at Subscribestar.com, and uh, we would appreciate support there, but certainly not any kind of obligation. And, uh, of course, we do invite you to subscribe to the channel. Make sure your notifications are turned on. Because we're finding out that YouTube is about to phase out email notifications. So everyone uh, need to have your push notifications on or YouTube's not going to tell you when we put new stuff out. That's going to do it for us today. Thanks very much for watching. Joe Haldeman is here tomorrow. Rhonda Udaly in on Thursday. Tonight, an all-new Salacious Crumbs with the latest Star Wars news. So uh, stay locked in here. Subscribe to Sci-Fi For Me TV. We will be back tomorrow. Thank you. This has been a presentation of Sci-Fi For Me Radio. Copyright 2020 by Flaming Dog Media, LLC. All rights reserved. No portion of this program may be retransmitted without the express written consent of Flaming Dog Media.